Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is a view from the couch, and it's Saturday afternoon in Athens. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast again this week as we continue our preview of the upcoming 2021 Georgia Bulldogs football season. We've already previewed the state of the program. That was two weeks ago in our first episode. Last week we talked all about the quarterback position, its importance to the program overall and to the legacy of Kirby Smart. And we talked about specifically this year, what we hope to see out of JT Daniels. This week we have a lot more to talk about because we are going to talk about the skill positions on offense. So we're going to talk running back, we're going to talk tight end, and we're going to talk wide receivers. Now, a little bit of context where we're going to start and where we're going to finish today is by just putting it out there and just saying up front, if Georgia's offense turns into an elite offense in college football this season, Georgia will not only compete for an SEC championship and a playoff spot, but they will also compete for a national championship, period. The success of this year's team is completely and totally dependent on the offense. The defense is going to be good enough because Georgia's defense is very good, but also because having a very good defense isn't necessarily what it used to be. So even if Georgia's defense underwhelms a little bit, it's all about offense in modern college football. We talked about this last year and the frustration from Georgia fans after the Florida game when it became apparent that Georgia's offense just wasn't good enough to compete. And so now we have to look at what's possible for this offense and 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 I don't want to be over overly simplistic here but at the end of the day if Georgia can have a top 10 offense they are going to be in contention for a national championship this year so we'll start with the running backs because for so long Georgia has been one of the best schools in the country at producing running backs now every year you have you know in the offseason, you have these sites that'll do what's running back you, cornerback you, linebacker you, all that kind of stuff. I don't know if Georgia is the best program in the country at producing running backs. But they're really, really stinking good. And there is no running back room in the nation that is as good and as deep as UGA's coming into this season. So for all of these positions that we're going to kind of talk about, we're just going to talk about the key players at those positions for this season. Going to give you some statistics. We're going to talk a lot about, there's going to be a lot of names and a lot of numbers here. And then before we kind of move on from position to position, we'll just talk about in general, philosophically, what Georgia's done in the past and what will need to change in the future if Georgia's going to go from a mediocre offense, which is statistically what they have been, to a great offense. So, Again, starting with running backs, we're going to start with the senior, the only senior in the running back room, and that's number four, James Cook. 
Now, Cook was a little bit of a surprise to come back to Georgia this year. He didn't play in the bowl game, and his father uh, actually had passed away right before the bowl game, uh, and, and I guess he passed away in late December of 2020. Uh, he didn't play in the bowl game, but then decided to come back for his senior year. And I think James Cook, and this is a little bit why I wanted to start here, he is absolutely indicative of the failings of this offense over the last few years, really in the Kirby Smart era. Georgia's offense has been good. Georgia scored enough points to win a lot of games. But in the biggest games, against the best teams, Georgia's offense, quite frankly, just hasn't been good enough to win at the highest level. And the inability of now three offensive coordinators to effectively use the multifaceted talents of James Cook is exactly what the problem is. Now, I will say, last year was by far Cook's best year in Athens. 45 rushes, 303 yards. That's an average of 6.7 yards per carry. Led the team in that statistic. Three touchdowns catching, uh, or sorry, three touchdowns rushing. 16 catches, 225 yards. That's a 14.1 catch per yards per catch ratio, and two touchdowns. So five total touchdowns for James Cook. Just in case you were wondering, uh, that is that was tied for uh, total touchdowns. That was tied for fourth on the team. So you see last year he got the ball. He ran the ball, you know, right around 60 total touches for the year. You got to remember that's a 10-game schedule, uh, including the bowl game because Vandy chickened out of playing our last home game last year. Um But you see the ability not only to be effective in the running game, but to be effective in the passing game. So James Cook, the only senior. Two juniors in the uh, running back room this year. The leading carrier last year, 144 carries, 779 yards. That's Zamir White, number three, 5.4 yards per carry. Led the team in total touchdowns with 11 His other junior running mate was Kenny McIntosh, number six, 47 carries, so second most on the team, 251 yards, an average of 5.3, so just a tick down from Zamir's 5.4. He also had 10 catches for 111 yards, one total touchdown. So the juniors could not be any more different. Zamir was the workhorse last year, and he got, as as we see, 144 carries. He got more carries than all of the other running backs, well, not individually for sure, and then any three of them combined. Um, he barely would have lost out if you combined all four of the other guys who got running or rush attempts last year compared to Zamir. So he was the focus back. I expect that to change a little bit this year. Once again, a little bit surprising that Zamir chose to come back. Um, he was he is a junior, but he is a redshirt junior because he hurt his knee uh, in his freshman season. So he was three years removed from high school after his season last year. But he decided to come back, and, and it brings so much depth. Having Cook and White back, I don't want to go too far, but it's very indicative of of a couple of running backs that may have come back after the 2016 season for the 2017 season. Um, I'm not saying that James Cook and Zamir White are Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, but there are similarities in the fact that you bring a lot of experience back to this team. McIntosh is the interesting guy. He got a little banged up last year, didn't play in every game, but he's the guy that 
of the the guys we talked about so far, to me, he's the one that's the most all around back. You know, James Cook is an absolute threat in the passing game. He's a good running back, and if he breaks the line of scrimmage, then he absolutely has the speed to run away from guys. But he's small, and so you know, breaking tackles not exactly uh, James Cook forte. Zamir White is just the opposite. He loves contact. He wants to get the four or five, six yard carries, and and he's averaging five point four. My guess is he's probably averaging three or four yards after contact. He is the slam it up the middle. He loves hitting people. He has some speed, but on the back end of that knee surgery I referred to just a moment ago, speed's really not his forte. McIntosh, along with the guy we're going to talk about next, he's the guy that can kind of do both things pretty well. Now, he's not great at either, but he's a very solid running back. And if he continues to mature, now entering his junior year, I could see Kenny McIntosh, number six, having a very big year for the Dogs. I said it before last year. I'll say it again. I think the best running back in Georgia's running back arsenal, which we've already shown how deep it is, is number two, Kendall Milton. He was 22 last year, but Richard LeCount wore number two. So, uh, LeCount graduated after last season. Milton will be number two for this year. He got hurt towards the middle of last year, and he he didn't get to play anymore. So um, 35 carries, 193 yards, 5.5 yards per carry. He only had one catch um, for 22 yards last season. He did not score a touchdown. Um, I think Kendall Milton is going to have an absolute breakout year if he gets the carries. I think that the dog's offense will be served by not being so dependent on Zamir White and splitting carries really, really evenly between White, McIntosh, and Milton. The The reality of the situation is that Milton and McIntosh, while they might not, at least last year, have had the experience in the passing game to be as good at blocking as they probably needed to be for the offense to perform at its best, those guys have, in my opinion, more top-end talent and more big playability than Zamir White. So you can't broadcast what you're doing. It's like, oh, it's going to be a passing down, so we're going to put Zamir in there. And Zamir's a good running back, so I don't want to take anything away from him. And maybe what we see from Zamir is a lot more pop after this year. You know, when, when Chubb came back from his knee injury in 20, he got injured in 15, came back in 16, he was good but something wasn't right. When he came back in 2017, he was absolutely fantastic. So maybe Zamir White looks like Nick Chubb in 2017, and there's no there's no hesitancy. He's completely healthy, and what we see is one of the best running backs in the country. Maybe, maybe not. In the SEC, it's going to be a grueling schedule this year. Um, Hopefully, we're going to be playing 14 or 15 games this year. You're going to need a lot of guys, and I think Kendall Milton – the sophomore has a has an opportunity to really step out this year and kind of be the breakout guy in the running back room. Now, the guy that actually had 37 carries, so he had more carries than Milton because of the injury last year, Dejon Edwards really surprised toward the end of the year. Number 33, 37 carries, 218 yards, 5.9 yards per carry. That is second on the team. Only James Cook averaged more yards per carry last year, and Edwards did get one touchdown. Edwards was the guy that Georgia brought in at the end of games to just beat the 
living crap out of the opposing team. And he is a hard runner. He seems to really love hitting people. And he was consistent, and they could just feed him in the third and fourth quarter with a lead. And he just ate up clock, ate up yardage. It was really fun to watch Dejon Edwards. And it was kind of a nice surprise because we knew about the other guys coming into last year. And Edwards just, you didn't see him as as being as big of a, t- a piece of the team as he ended up being. There is one freshman coming in that I think is at least worth mentioning. Lavoisier Carroll is a four-star guy out of IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. He was a four, you know, four-star recruit. Georgia really wanted him. I just don't know how much he'll be able to play this year because there's so many guys in front of him on the depth chart. It feels like an opportunity for. I mean, if you kind of look what we've gone through here, we got one senior, two juniors, two sophomores, and now. Carroll, a freshman. We also just this past week got Branson Robinson, a top 50 player for 2022, the number one uh, running back. I mean, depending on which which of the uh, services you look at, a lot of people have him ranked as the number one running back in the nation. Uh, Google him, Branson Robinson, running back. Um, just Google him and, and tell me what you think because he looks like he is uh, chiseled out of granite and the first thing that I saw or, or I thought when I saw him when he he was a combination of Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb because he's not huge and like stocky the way Chubb is but he is absolutely ripped the way Chubb is so he's got a, a body like Sony with all the muscles like Chubb so um that's the running back room, and you see the depth you see the depth in class you see all of the different styles so I think when it comes to running back, the, the biggest thing for Georgia this year is going to be finding the right formula for incorporating all of these guys as best as you possibly can. And that's not easy because there's only one football. And as we, we talk about tight end and wide receiver, I'm going to make the case that Georgia needs to be a less run-heavy team. So there's only one football, and I think we should run it less. So it's going to be hard to use these guys. I think the key is going to be specifically for Cook, McIntosh, and Milton, getting them involved in the passing game as much as possible. And I have been screaming this since the days of Gurley. Uh, <laughs> and when, when Gurley was here his last year and we still had Chubb and Sony had just come in, uh, Keith Marshall, before he got hurt, uh, put two running backs on the field sometime. Make a defense, mate. If one of those running backs is James Cook, you can put two guys on the field and cause all kinds of confusion for the defense. You put split backs in, and if you've got Zamir White and James Cook, you fake a handoff to Zamir, you get James Cook with a head start against a linebacker coming out of the backfield, good luck. Good luck. And if nothing else, you pump fake that after the uh, after doing play action. You pump fake to James White over the middle, get the safety to come up, and then you're going to have somebody absolutely wide open over the top on the outside. But uh, that's a little more technical <laughs> than you probably wanted to hear. But the creativity with how we use the running backs is going to be important. Now, we can also just go ahead and say from the beginning, this is the SEC. All five of these guys are not going to be healthy all year. It's going to take more it's it's going to take all these guys to be effective so you, you're not going to get through a whole season with two running backs in the sec so whoever does maybe pick up a knock along the way or miss a game or two 
the the depth is what really matters here because in the SEC you can't just be good you can't just have a guy you have to have more than one guy and Georgia really has they're four deep where I feel like you could say there would be starters on any team in the SEC maybe outside of Alabama and then I think Deshaun Edwards is a really really good running back uh, we'll see about Lavoisier Carroll so that's the running back room I don't know if we're running back you or not, but that's really stinking good. And running back, as it has been for the last 10 years, will continue to be one of the strengths of this offense. You've probably heard the saying, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody is around, does it make a noise? Well, you could kind of say something similar about the tight end position at the University of Georgia. If you have tight ends but you never throw to them, do they really exist? And I'm obviously saying that tongue-in-cheek. I understand that tight ends also block. But the tight end position has probably been the most criticized position in Georgia's offense going back to the days of Mark Richt. Georgia constantly has great, uh, highly recruited tight ends, and for whatever reason, they choose not to utilize them. There's a lot of reasons for that. But going back to the, the peak of the Richt years, Georgia had great tight ends. You think about guys like Leonard Pope. You think of guys like uh, Martridge Milner. Georgia was kind of known for their tight ends. And in the last few years, you still have names like that. Think about Isaac Nada. You think about um, the the different players that Georgia's had at that position over the years. And uh, you, you just realize that they have not utilized the tight end position the way that they need to. There's one man, and he's going to be the second man we talk about here in just a second, but there's a man that's going to challenge that this year. We're going to start with seniority. We're going to start with a junior tight end, John Fitzpatrick, number 86. He had 10 catches, 95 yards, so obviously easy math there, 9.5 yards per catch, uh, and one touchdown last year. But the guy, the man, and boy is he a man, 6'7", 265 from Las Vegas, Nevada, Darnell Washington. Seven catches, 166 yards last year, 23.7 yards per catch. Washington wasn't utilized a ton early in the season, but when some injuries happened during the season, he really started getting some more opportunities, and as he had opportunities, he started stepping up. And 23.7 yards per catch, I don't care who you are, that's impressive. He was also a beast during – g-day this year and he and the next guy on the list brock bowers a true freshman out of napa california washington and bowers were featured a lot and so it really makes me think that the matchup problem that darnell washington at his size and his strength causes the other team it feels like georgia will have to find a way to get him the ball he very he very well may be the best playmaker on this team and if the Georgia offensive coaching staff has not spent hours upon hours in the offseason studying the way that teams the Patriots and then this last year the Buccaneers get the ball to Rob Gronkowski 
if they haven't been figuring out ways to utilize Darnell Washington just like people have utilized Gronk, then they're fools, period. I talked about Brock Bowers, four-star, true freshman, number 19 from Napa, California. He was the number three tight end in the nation. And just, you know, he's from Napa. And just like a fine wine, he's going to get better the more he plays. By the time the season is over, I really believe that Washington's going to obviously be your number one tight end. But I think Brock Bowers is going to catch 20, 25 balls this year. He's going to be a part of this offense. Uh, He's just too good. He's not nearly as big. Uh, He's 6'3", about 220. But he is really really consistent more of a traditional tight end than the beast that is darnell washington two other guys that are on the team ryan goad number 88 might be goady i don't know and brett seether both of those guys were three stars coming in um you're not going to play five tight ends hopefully so if if washington and bowers develop the way they seem like they will with fitzpatrick there you know with the experience that he has i think those three guys Fitzpatrick, Washington, and Bowers are going to be the main guys that you see um, at tight end for Georgia. It's going to be very important for Georgia to, I'll say it again, I'm going to say it every single segment, figuring out how to get your guys the ball. Washington needs to catch 40 to 50 passes this year. I'll say it one more time. Darnell Washington needs to catch 40 to 50 passes this year. And if he doesn't, it better be because we didn't have the ball enough for him to catch that much because we scored too fast with other guys. That's the only reason it would be okay. So that's your view of the tight end room, led by the absolute beast, Darnell Washington. We're going to finish up today talking about the wide receivers. Now, as you get ready, we're, you know I'm recording this on Friday afternoon. We are rapidly approaching. When this, this uh, episode is going to drop on Saturday, it'll be July 31st. August is here. Practice starts in the next week or two. It's football time, guys. It's here. We finally got here. So, as you start reading and listening to national pundits talk about Georgia, the prospects for this season, the showdown with Clemson, the ceiling for Georgia, you are going to lazily hear a lot of people talk about George Pickens' injury in the spring and what it means for Georgia's offense. Now, I want to start out this segment on wide receivers by telling you that George Pickens is the best wide receiver to play at Georgia since A.J. Green. He is very, very good. I don't want anything I'm about to say to make it sound like I take anything away from George Pickens, who, let's just kind of get this out there, might be able to come back this season. I don't think he will. I don't think that the team will let him. I don't think Kirby will let him. He he injured his knee, uh, I believe, in early April. It's usually a six- to eight-month recovery. So technically, if he's – and I've heard just reading things, you know, on message boards and stuff like that, that he is way ahead of schedule and he's looking good. 
I just don't think there's any chance that Kirby's going to let him come back and play. He's risking too much with his NFL future to do that. Um, we'll see, but I don't think so. But last year, Pickens had 36 catches, tied tops on the team, 513 yards, six touchdowns. Those were not amazing numbers. When as we go through the running or the uh, wide receivers here, they're not going to be amazing numbers. We had three different quarterbacks last year. Um, it's hard to have great continuity between a quarterback and a wide receiver when you don't know who's going to be throwing you the ball week to week, right? So the numbers for George Pickens are not indicative of, you know, if you compare them to, you know, Devontae Smith or any of the Alabama guys, right, Waddle or anything, it, it's not a comparison. But the offense for George is not a comparison to, to Alabama's offense, and that's what's got to be fixed. But the lazy national pundits who don't know enough about Georgia, about their recruiting, about what they've been able to do over the past specifically two years in recruiting wide receivers, they know George Pickens and they don't know anybody else. And and they'll take a second, they'll go, wait, 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 there's there's that one kid. Um, I can't remember his number, I can't remember his, well, let's just say that the biggest question for Georgia coming into this season is, is, is wide receiver because of George Pickens' injury. You're going to hear that a lot. I want the people that listen to this podcast to be the only people in America who just dismiss that because it's garbage. It's absolute garbage. Georgia has a ton. Georgia has an absolute ton of talent at wide receiver. Now, we are not going to start with Georgia's most talented wide receiver to start to talk about. We're going to get to him in a minute. We're going to start with the guys that are coming back from last year. So, with Pickens' injury, the top returning receiver is Kiaris Jackson, who had 36 catches, 514 yards. Yes, one yard more than than George Pickens had. So, it's an average of just over 14 yards per carry, three touchdowns. Kiaris was – I felt like he was the guy early in the season when teams were just doing everything they possibly could to stop Pickens – Kiaris Jackson benefited from that big time. I think Kiaris is a solid receiver. I don't think he is, you know, he's he's not in our top four as far as talent, but he's really good and he's really solid and he's the kind of guy that you need because maybe he's not going to be the, the team leader. Maybe he's not the most explosive guy in the world, but he is so stinking consistent. He's a great run blocker and all of these things matter over the course of a, an SEC season. Sophomore Jermaine Burton, to me, is is the guy coming back that you have the highest hope for. Number seven, 27 catches, 404 yards. Um, that average is about 15 yards a carry. Three touchdowns last year. To me, it seemed like Burton was the guy that JT Daniels had the most connection with as soon as he came in for that Mississippi State game. All of a sudden it seemed like Burton was the number one guy. Now, he also picked up a little bit of an injury in the spring, nothing nearly as uh, serious as George Pickens' injury. But Burton is in – he's a full go from what I read the other day um, for fall camp, but he is coming back from an injury. Speaking of injuries, one guy that we didn't get to see a ton of last year, and I think in a normal 12-game season, we would have gotten to see a lot more of him, um, but that's Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint. You're going to go, wait, who? He's the guy whose leg got broken in front of all of us on national TV when he got his uh, long touchdown catch against Florida 
Only four catches in 62 yards last year. Came in last year as a true freshman without spring practice because of COVID, without a normal spring or fall practice. It just took him a little while to get into things. And I think you're going to see that with a lot of the freshmen for last year. You are going to see a huge jump, not just at wide receiver, across the board. If you were a true freshman last year, everything that happened from March through the season was so weird. Having more of a normal um, offseason and, and trainings, you know, summer um, training camp and fall camp, all of that's going to be so beneficial for all of the freshmen that are coming back and now are sophomores. And I think that's going to be especially true for Marcus Rosemary Jackson, who really seemed like, you know, but besides the fact that he had the one touchdown pass where, you know, with the gruesome injury on TV. All we had heard in practice in the weeks leading up to the Florida game was how much better he was playing. He was a guy to kind of keep an eye on, and and then the injury happened. Arian Smith, two catches, 86 yards. Doesn't seem like you would think much about him. He's still a redshirt freshman. Didn't play in enough games last year to uh, to, to lose that redshirt. So Arian Smith is just one of the fastest people in the world. I mean, he's just he is incredibly fast. He runs track. Um if Georgia can use him in special situations, he's not a guy at this point in his career that projects into the NFL. He's not that kind of guy, but he is a specialist that if you can figure out the way to to use him, some end around, some different, you know, some different looks, just the, the touchdown pass he had, he just ran by everybody. Now, I don't think you can do that week in and week out and be you know, a top receiver in the SEC, but you can surprise people every once in a while. And Georgia's got so many different wide receivers and they're going to play so many different guys. You will see a time this year where somebody just realizes, oh, crap, that's the really fast guy. And by the time they see him, all they can do is read the back of his jersey. One guy to keep an eye on this year is Dominic Blaylock. Blaylock uh, didn't play last year because of a knee injury and then uh, he, he tore his ACL during the 2019 season and then retoured it uh, before last year uh, in, in ball camp. But number eight, Don Blaylock, in 19, he had 18 catches for 310 yards and five touchdowns. So it will be interesting to see how quickly he can move into more playing time, you know, with so many guys. If you just, you know, if you want to just kind of have your eyes get wide for a moment you can go to georgiadogs.com espn.com you know wherever you look at your sports and go to georgia's roster and just scroll down till you see wide receivers and when you see the number of guys that georgia has that will make you understand what i'm trying to say is that there's a lot of guys competing and and if blaylock isn't all the way back from that knee injury uh, I think it's going to be hard for him to be able to to get a lot of playing time. But he's a very good wide receiver. He wasn't super dependent on his speed before, but he came in as a highly re- recruited guy. So the knee injury probably won't cost him a lot. It's just a matter of conditioning. You can bet this guy knows the offense as well as anybody because that's what stood out so much in his freshman year with Jake Fromm at quarterback. He Fromm depended on him. Fromm could trust him because of his ability to know where he was supposed to be. He was, at the beginning of their careers, a much better route runner and a much more consistent wide receiver than George Pickens was. Now now we're going to get into a few guys that haven't played for Georgia yet. Justin Robinson came into last year, four-star 
uh, recruit out of Eagles Landing. So he's a redshirt freshman. Did not get a catch last year. Played a couple games, but didn't didn't actually register a catch. Um, but he was a very highly recruited guy and a guy that I was really excited about before last year. Just never worked his way into the lineup. Sometimes when that happens, there's, you know, Kirby, with the weird year last year, he didn't have to tell the, the guys, the, the guys, the reporters, he didn't have to say anything to the media that he didn't want to say. So it was never super clear, but Justin Robinson was dealing with a little bit of an injury last year. And with the short season, with the COVID stuff, with all the weird things going on, uh, he just didn't get in. That doesn't mean he's not good. Sometimes it means he just didn't get in, and maybe he'll get an opportunity this year. The other guy is actually a three-star recruit out of Tennessee. His name is Adonai Mitchell, number five. And if you were, if you remember back to the episode that I recorded after G-Day, I was completely confused about who this was. I thought like Terry Godwin had come back for like a, you know, like a graduate game or something, but Adonai Mitchell was the top target during G-Day. I don't have the numbers. I couldn't find them. I'm sure I could have if I looked a little bit more, but I didn't. So we'll just go with what I remember. I feel like he caught about 100 passes uh, for about a million yards. Now, I know that's not accurate, but that's what it felt like that day. Every time a quarterback, it didn't matter if it was Jackson Muschamp, Brock Vandergriff, JT Daniels, every time they threw the ball, it felt like they were throwing it to Adonai Mitchell. I remember one ball that was thrown to um, – to Darnell Washington. Every other pass I remember from that game was thrown to Adnan Mitchell. Now, maybe that was because Rosemey, Jack Saint, and Burton, and Pickens were all standing on the sideline watching. I don't know. But it's at least worth noting that this kid was all over the place, and he made a couple really spectacular catches during that game. So those are the guys that we need to talk about for this year, and I haven't left anybody out, and I haven't forgotten any. But wait, wait, there's one more guy. Eric Gilbert, number 14, is six foot five, 248 pounds. This is the sophomore that we just got from LSU as a transfer. Now, if you remember, and I'll, we'll, we'll just talk about it one more time just so everybody knows the story. Eric Gilbert, from everything that was reported, he was coming to Georgia as a 2020 recruit. He came to the Georgia game against Kentucky in an absolute torrential downpour in 2019. It was a night game the week after Georgia had lost to South Carolina at home at that noon kickoff when uh, Jake Fromm forgot how to play quarterback for one day and it cost Georgia a a win at home. Um, So, The team had lost to South Carolina in ridiculously ugly fashion the week before. It's pouring down rain, and the game at halftime against Kentucky at night was 0-0. The team got booed off the field, and from reports at that time, Eric Gilbert's family and Eric Gilbert left. Georgia went on to win that game 21-0 off of a few touchdowns uh, from from DeAndre Swift, but at that point, he pretty much crossed Georgia off the list, and it seemed like this is where he was coming. Now, he was also being recruited as a tight end, and at 6'5", 248 pounds, you understand why. Eric had a really hard time last year at LSU, and I don't want to speculate a whole lot. Um, There's very little 
that we know about this situation. Once he is, you know, once fall camp starts, maybe we'll get a little bit more details on what happened. But the speculation is basically that he he had a tough time being away from home, which I don't think is necessarily shocking for an 18-year-old um, leaving home for the first time. But all of the COVID stuff on top of being 18 and being away from home, it made it really hard on him. And so um, he has transferred. He, he, he put his name in the transfer portal. There was a moment where it seemed like he was going to go to Florida. Um, but even when that was being reported, all the Georgia Beat guys were like, hey, he's going to be on campus in January. Just, just wait. He's going to be on campus in January. And uh, he wasn't on campus in January, but he is. He was on campus in June. And so Eric Gilbert is uh, is a Georgia Bulldog. Last year at LSU, 35 catches, 368 yards, 10.5 yards per catch, two touchdowns. As I said, he was a five-star in 2020. He was the number one tight end prospect in the nation. Now, I need to pause for just a second and point out that he and Darnell Washington were both in that class. And... At one point, it really seemed like Georgia was going to get both of them, the number one and number two tight ends in that class. Um, But Gilbert went to LSU. He has now transferred to Georgia. From everything that we have heard, one, he seems extremely happy. Two, everybody at Georgia is extremely happy with him. Now, you may be wondering why we're talking about him as a wide receiver, and I don't know how else to say this other than that's what he wants to play. He wants to play receiver. I don't know why he's 6'5", 248, but he thinks he's a receiver. And if I'm Kirby Smart, and he hasn't obviously commented on this publicly, but if I'm Kirby Smart or Todd Munkin or you know anybody else affiliated with the Georgia program, to me, call yourself whatever you want. We're going to throw you the football. And that's what they did. That's what they told him during the recruitment. And that's where Eric Gilbert, it looks like a reek, by the way, so a R-I-K. It's Eric. He only played in eight games last year. He had 35 catches in eight games, so you can do the quick math that, okay, that's about five catches per game. But they also had a lot. I mean, LSU, just like Georgia, a lot of quarterback issues last year. Three different guys played, so there was no consistency there either. With the offense that Georgia should have this year, with the running backs we've already talked about, with Darnell Washington that we've already talked about, Eric Gilbert could end up being the replacement for George Pickens. Not necessarily a one-to-one replacement, because what Gilbert does versus what Pickens does, is it's not the same stuff. However, from a production standpoint, if you want to go money ball on this and you think about like the premise in baseball that when you're replacing a player, you're not replacing the guy. You're replacing you know, 200 hits or 40 home runs or whatever. Eric Gilbert doesn't replace George Pickens in the sense that you know, he's a plug-and-play and just put him in and run the same routes that Pickens was running. I don't think at, two, at 6'5", 245, I don't think he can do that. Maybe he can, and if he can, then, oh, my God, this is going to be fun. But from a production standpoint, I think there is enough here that that lazy narrative that we were talking about earlier, it just doesn't apply. Georgia has tons of talent at wide receiver. They have tons of talent at tight end. They have tons of talent at running back. And if what we saw in the last four games of last year is true, they have a very good quarterback. 
So that's our position breakdown of the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the running backs. Let's put a bow on this episode and just talk about the offense in general and what needs to happen this year. When Todd Munkin was hired, I did a lot of talk early last year, right after um, right after that hire was made. I broke down some interviews that he had done, listening to him talk about his philosophy, and I was very excited. Now, what happened last year to me does not take away at all my level of excitement on what to expect and what Todd Munkin and this offense are capable of. As I said before, we talk about the freshmen, but I think it applies for the entire offense when you realize that Georgia hired a new offensive coordinator in January of last year, did not have spring practice, did not have summer workouts, and did not get a normal fall practice to get ready. And it does matter when you're implementing a new offense and new concepts and new route trees and all of the different things that Georgia would have been doing when you're bringing in a new offense. So just like I was talking about the jump that you could expect from a freshman to sophomore, especially after last year, just like we, if you look back at the history of the Georgia Bulldogs and Kirby Smart's second year, go to the national championship game and Mark Rick's second year, go to the Sugar Bowl and win the SEC at 13-1. and I think you're going to see a significant jump in production with this offense this year. Now, does that mean that Georgia's offense is going to turn into Alabama's overnight? Boy, I hope so. Probably not, but boy, I hope so. We all do, right? Well, except Jeremy, who's probably the only non-Georgia fan that listens to this. Here's the, the challenge for Munkin. You've got the tools. No matter what the national guys tell you, you got the tools. How do you use them? How do you how do you handle this? How do you manage this offense? How, there's one ball and there's a lot of guys. It's going to take creativity. It's going to take ingenuity and it's going to take a little bit of bravery because the reality is you can play it safe with guys like Kiaris Jackson and John Fitzpatrick, and Zamir White. You can absolutely do that. And Georgia's offense can just naturally get better because of the sum of its parts. Or you can give a legitimate opportunity in fall camp for some of these young guys to unseat guys ahead of them. And that's, again, not to take anything away from what Kiaris Jackson is or what Zamir White is. But we know what their top end is. They've been here long enough. Those two guys are not just going to turn into Heisman Trophy candidates in a single year. It's just not going to happen. So the talented playmakers that you've been recruiting the last couple of years, the emphasis that Kirby's had on playmakers the last couple of years in recruiting, now it has to pay off. And now we have to take the governor off this offense. Going back to that Kentucky game that I referenced a minute ago where Rick Gilbert walked out, I was texting one of my best friends during that game telling him I was done. I'm done with Kirby's just lazy, playing it too safe crap. Zero points at halftime at home against a a Kentucky team that was not very good. 
I don't care that it was raining. It doesn't matter that it was raining. You got to score points. I was done. And all of last year, take the governor off. Open it up. Just freaking go. And let me tell you, for the folks that listen to this podcast, you guys know how much I love Kirby Smart. I think the world of him, I think he's the right guy. The thing that can make me change my mind about that is this year and this offense. We don't have to win a national championship this year. We don't have, not, you know, for me to continue to support Kirby. But I will have serious doubts if we keep going with this conservative crap offense. You cannot look at the last few years of college football at what Clemson did with Trevor Lawrence. At what Alabama was doing with Tua and what they did last year with all those receivers and all that talent, what Ohio State did with a guy that was here, what LSU did with Joe Burrow breaking every stinking record that ever stood, what Oklahoma's been doing the last few years, you cannot look at the teams that have been more successful than you. Because let's be honest, Georgia has been one of the six or seven best programs in the country since Kirby Smart took over, okay? If, if you kind of throw 16 out, not because it was a bad year, but because that was his first year. From 17 through last year, Georgia's better than everybody other than Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. You might want to throw Notre Dame in there. I don't care. So you're four, you're, you're five, or you're six, depending on – I mean, Notre Dame made the playoff twice. I, I don't know how much that means. Georgia beat Notre Dame on the field a couple years ago. Whatever. But let's say you're five. The thing that those other four teams have is the thing you, you can have, is a dynamic, up-tempo, run more plays, throw the ball more – it doesn't have to just be throwing the ball more. It's just be more creative. I'm trying to control myself here if you can't tell. You have to be more creative. You have to take more risks. You're going to make more mistakes. Let's be honest. But you got to go down swinging. It's trade deadline day for MLB, okay? And by the time you listen to this, you'll know how many moves the Braves made. Some teams, like the Dodgers, they're just going for it. They'll pay whatever. They'll trade whoever. They're going to go get everybody. That's what I want from an offense from Georgia this year. Whatever it takes. If it means throwing the ball 60 times a game, fine. What I want is points. Points, points, points. And I want bucket loads of points. I want this team to average 35. I want to score 40 more than once or twice this year. I wouldn't mind hanging half a hundred on Vandy just for not coming here last year. We should go up there and beat the living tar out of Vanderbilt and punish them for not coming down here and getting their butts kicked last year. I want to beat Georgia Tech by 60 this year to remind them the only reason you didn't lose to us last year is because you didn't have to play us. This offense has everything it needs to be dynamic, to be explosive. All it needs, I believe, with all of my heart, all it needs is the head coach to get out of the way. Kirby is trying to win football games the way Nick Saban did in 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12. 
Look down the road to Tuscaloosa, and Nick Saban's not trying to win that way anymore. And Georgia can't continue to try to win that way. It cannot be conservative on offense. We're already seeing some top recruits not commit. Georgia's in the top three, and they're not coming to Georgia. It The, the recruiting for this cycle, there's still plenty of guys out there. We're still going to end up being like two, three, four, something like that. But the skill position guys are starting to doubt a little bit whether or not Georgia will do it. You've got the tools. You've got Eric Gilbert. You've got Washington. You've got Jermaine Burton. You've got guys. You've got a running back room full of guys. you got to use them now. And it is a huge test and the biggest question coming into this season. The national guys will say it's offense, and they're right. But it's not about whether or not Georgia has the dudes. It's about whether or not Georgia's dude will let them be dudes. And at the end of the day, I can only hope that he will. But here's the fun thing about the Clemson game. We're going to know pretty quick. Because if Kirby Smart's in his office today, probably six or seven miles away from where I sit right this moment, and he's thinking, we can go out there, play good defense, and beat Clemson 24-21, to then Georgia's going to get smoked in Charlotte. You're not going to beat Clemson with 24 points. I don't care if it's the first game of the year and offenses usually lag a little bit behind defenses. You're not beating DJ and that offense with 24 points. You're not going to do it with 28 points. You're not going to do it with 30 points. Do it like the old infomercials. Not 32, maybe 35. Georgia needs to be planning to score 40 on Clemson. Period. Georgia needs to be planning on scoring 40 on everybody. And if you want to blow people out, you don't do it beating them 30 to nothing the way we did here in Athens against Mississippi State in 17. You want to blow people out, beat them 49 to 14. Hold them to no points or to very low points. I'm not saying, just to be clear, I'm not saying Georgia's going to beat Clemson 49 to 14. I'd moved on from that point, but in my head, I don't know that I made that clear. If you want to blow people out, do it with defense by keeping them close to zero. But Georgia needs to be scoring 40 points per game, period. They've got to do it, and they have the talent to do it. It's just a question of whether or not Kirby will stick.